Good morning again, everyone, and welcome to those of you who haven't been here before. Welcome, welcome. Um, we're still on anger. Uh, there's a lot more to be said. Uh, Taishan gave us a wonderful introduction uh, last Sunday. And um, <clears throat> I don't suspect that there is anyone here or on Zoom who hasn't uh, struggled with anger. Um, it, can have, it can be expressed in uh, a wide range of forms uh, from mild irritation or to general irritability uh, to full-blown rage. Uh, and there seem to be a lot of synonyms for anger, <laughs> a, lot more, uh, a lot more synonyms for what we might call negative emotions than there are for positive ones. Uh, just as we have a department of defense and war and we don't have a department of peace. So uh, <laughs> it's kind of interesting uh, that we're much more focused on uh, negativity, uh, quote unquote negativity. So um, we all understand that anger is not helpful. I think we can, we can all agree on that. Uh, in fact, in our practice, um, anger is considered one, an expression of one of the poisons. Uh, the three poisons are aversion, attachment, and ignorance. And aversion can take many forms, uh, and uh, uh, anger is one of those forms. Uh, hatred, uh, uh, pushing away, averse. <clears throat> so it is a poison, and um, it creates a lot of suffering. Uh, however, as is the case with many poisons, some poisons, they can actually be used as medicines. And if this poison is treated properly, it can be healing. Um, anger is, is universal. It happens to all of us. Even in uh, very um, healthy, harmonious relationships, uh, anger occurs. And um, so can we mute that? I think so. I'll work on that. Go ahead. Okay. So there's a wonderful little story about um, a couple who had married for six, 60 years. That's a long, a long time to remain married and in harmony with one another. They had a very successful, healthy marriage, very honest with one another, uh, very open um, and were able to process problems that they had and had no secrets from one another, except one. Um, the wife had a shoebox that she placed in a very high shelf in the closet. 
And she uh, requested that her husband uh, never open this box, never tamper with it, leave it alone. And for 60 years, he kind of forgot about it, um, didn't, you know, respected her wishes. <clears throat> but at the end of 60 years, the wife took ill, very ill. And she, um, she was not expected to live very long. And they got together and they decided, well, maybe now is the time to open the shoebox. So uh, the husband went and retrieved the shoebox and sat beside her on her, on her bed and opened, opened it up. Um, and what was in the shoebox was very interesting. There were two little crocheted dolls, tiny dolls, and a pile of thousand dollar bills probably close to $100,000 of cash in this shoebox. And the husband looked at the wife and he said, can you explain, can you explain this? And she said, yes, I can. Uh, she said, prior to our marriage, my mother advised that a successful marriage is one in which the partners don't express anger toward one another. That's, that's a, you know, uh, something that I feel she felt pretty confident about. So when you feel anger, she said to her daughter, when you feel anger arise, crochet a little doll. And that's exactly what this woman did every time she felt anger arising, she crocheted a little doll. Well, the husband saw that there were only two dolls in the box. And he was very moved by the fact that over 60 years, there were only two crocheted dolls in that box. And he expressed that, you know, it was wonderful that that only, you know, in all these years, you've only crocheted two boxes. Well, that explains the dolls. But what about all of this money? She said, that comes from selling the rest of the doll. <laughs> <laughs> so you understand that even in the best of relationships, um, anger arises. And of course, in our practice, we don't suggest necessarily that you crochet a doll. <laughs> might be a good idea. Um, uh, but there, there are ways to respond uh, as opposed to reacting uh, to, to the arising of anger. And however much we understand that anger is not a skillful way of being and, and that it does create suffering. We can understand that. We can see it so clearly in our experience and in the experience of others. Nonetheless, it arises 
So it's our practice neither to attach, what we call dwelling in anger, which can result in something called a grudge that I like that word grudge kind of expresses the what that is, you know, you're sort of carrying around this, this, you know, a swampy thing, you know, <laughs> it's a amorphous, muddy thing that you're carrying around. So carrying a grudge can be the result of anger that <clears throat> that you attach to, and you and it, it, you don't let it go, but it simmers. It it you know it, it hangs in there. Um, <clears throat> we don't attach, nor do we push away. Because uh, that's another form of aversion. Uh, so we don't ignore our anger. Um, nor do we simply uh, are in denial about it. That is, uh, we just don't recognize it as anger. As a matter of fact, you know, anger used to be a uh, something to be ashamed of. Uh, you know, it, it, I don't get angry. You know, something that that we hide from, we we uh, repress. Um, today, however, uh, quite the contrary. Uh, it seems the kind of thing that is kind of beyond normalized. It's encouraged. It's approved of. Uh, it's fine to go around hitting someone with a hammer in the middle of the night. And, and and you know um, express express your anger uh, with with um, with attacks on people on social media and in all kinds of other ways social ways. So anger has become almost you know not only permitted but approved of. Yeah, that's yeah good to be angry. So it's really important for us. We have a very angry culture. Uh, it's important for us to take a look at this. So how do we how do we respond skillfully to the arising of anger, which is going to happen? So the first thing to do is nothing. This is what we're practicing here. It's called pausing, just like stopping, stopping the reactivity. And because anger is something that is so instantaneous. There is something that, that wounds us or upsets us or challenges us or some form of threat or uh, so we, we just immediately react. And sometimes we can't pause. It's just so instantaneous. That's okay. That's, that's what happens. But there's always an opportunity to pause, even in the midst of a, a very tumultuous interaction. <laughs> they do this in the Quaker meeting, you know, when things get a little too uh, intense, someone in the meeting calls for silence. 
Okay, a moment of <laughs> silence. Just let's just pause for a minute. Breathe and and then what? Okay, so so just our practice, learning how to stop, learning how to press the pause button. And that again can be done at any any time in the course of this interaction. What then? Most of the time when we are in the state of the arising of anger, we have this very powerful tendency to orient ourselves to the cause of anger, which is out there. It's called blame. Hmm. Anger needs a place to land. And it's very convenient to have it land outside of you. You know, what, what is it that's triggering me? It's got to be something out there, right? So we become aware that our anger tends to toward blame, toward orientation, toward the cause of anger, which has got to be you <laughs> or the president of the United States or the culture, or in my case, my mother, which I'll get to in a bit. Um, but our, in our practice, the empowering thing to do, the skillful thing to do, is first to notice how we are orienting ourselves instantly to an external cause, and then to make what is sometimes called a U-turn. A U-turn. Which winds <laughs> up here. No. Yes. <laughs> no one, no one can make you angry. Nobody forces you to be angry. There's no... There's no external force that can make you angry. Somehow it's coming from here. And the skillful thing to do is to take responsibility for that. Sometimes we call owning, owning our emotions. And <clears throat> beginning to investigate this not finding all the ways in which out there they did that and they did that and they did that and they did that. And that's, that's the reason. If only they all, you know, they didn't do all that, I, I feel fine. But no, what is happening in here? And one of the things that one can notice is your sort of typical pattern of reactivity in anger. I'm going to suggest there are probably many ways, but there are probably three major ways in which we react. 
the first is very direct. You know, somebody makes us angry and we just lash out. We scream. We, we, we may even take physical action. We may throw something. Uh, we may push someone. We, there's lots of very direct ways in which we can express our anger, shouting. Um, and then there is the passive aggressive. I'm very familiar with that one. <laughs> um, that is the silent treatment. Just swallow the anger and just... Mm. Or you can become sarcastic for no reason. Just, but it's, it's a sort of indirect way of expressing your anger without any, without direct uh, expression. And then of course there's, you know, sort of a punishing, punishing. You can start gossiping behind somebody's back. You can threaten them uh, with something. You can blackmail them in some way, uh, personal blackmail. There are, there are lots of ways of kind of punishing somebody um, uh, without being uh, dramatic about it um, or, and without just shutting down and being, you know. Are you angry, dear? No, I'm fine. <laughs> you know, this, I'm fine. Um, no, you're not fine, but you're shutting down. You're, you're just expressing your anger in a, in a different way. So you can notice your typical expressions of, um, of anger. And um, that noticing, that awareness um, begins to get you in touch with what is usually the deepest source of anger, which is some need that you have that is not getting met. That's what you might discover, that you need something that you're not getting. And we're blaming others, but you're, if you're not in touch with what you need, what your unmet needs are, you won't be able to resolve the anger, to resolve the problem, because you won't be able to articulate what is really the cause, what is really the source of your anger, if you don't know it. So it'll just be a constant fight uh, because you're just ignorant, you're unaware of, of what the true source of the anger is. It's not there. It's something within you that isn't getting met, that isn't getting uh, addressed. And that can be many, many things. And that's something for each of us to investigate when anger arises. 
I'll give you an example. For, I mean, I'm in my late 70s. And probably for over 70 years, I have been blaming my mother for my anger. This Dharma talk uh, helped me to pause because I had to, I had to examine. And I usually, when I give a talk, I usually go inward and see how, you know, how is this expressed in my own life? So I can, I can be as authentic as I can be with you. So this talk gave me an opportunity to go inward and examine my own anger and ask myself, what did I, what did I need that I wasn't getting, that I'm blaming on my mother? And I had to go all the way back to infancy when my mother, which she told me later on in life, was uh, subscribing to the current uh, child rearing philosophy that when a baby cries, you don't go. <laughs> you don't go to pick it up. It. <laughs> you, don't pick, you don't go to pick her or him up. Um, you just let them cry. You don't enable in other words. So my mother subscribed to that philosophy. And believe it or not, um, the name that my parents were going to give me was Mary. <laughs> and I was not a Mary baby. I was a screaming, crying, colicky baby. And my mother decided, I'm just, let her cry. It's called the CIO method. Cry it out. <laughs> cry it out. And that was supposed to work. You know, that the, the baby eventually, you know, cried it out. Like we say, just express your anger and then it's over. No, it's not over. It may be over in the sense that I did stop crying. I did stop crying, but not because my needs were met, but because it was futile to cry anymore. I just stopped because I was exhausted. So when we talk about expressing your anger and that's gonna solve the problem, no, examine that. It's, it's not going to solve the problem. It may exhaust you, but it's not going to solve your problem. So uh, in going back over, going inward here and going back over my development as a person, I became, because I did not get my, met, my needs met, and what were those needs? Probably to be held. You know, to be comforted, uh, to be examined, to see whether I had a diaper pin in my butt or something. You know, that I was crying because uh, I was 
you know, in pain. Uh, but no, it was just let her cry. And that resulted in my becoming a little girl who was a real rebel. My anger, I discovered it couldn't be satisfied by, by expressing it directly. So I went to the silent treatment as a little girl and as being very rebellious, which is a form of sarcasm. Um, and I can remember standing on a subway station when I was a little girl going, going on the train. And I saw a poster. It was a, a charity poster for starving children. In, <laughs> and on this poster, I still see it so vividly, was this little girl my age with this uh, shock of black hair, which I had when I was a little girl. And it was just wild. And she's holding on to the bars of a window. This was supposed to be, um, you know, uh, evoke uh, compassion for this little girl. And so you would give, give money to this charity. She was there and her eyes were wild and she was holding on to these bars. That's me. <sighs> I really felt, you know, I just stare at that poster uh, and feel she's expressing what I was feeling. And for most of my adult life, my form of expressing anger was that inner, you know, inner tension, inner, inner rage at not having my knees met, but being unable to articulate it. I, did, I just didn't know. I was blaming every, everybody else. However, now I have a practice. <laughs> And I can make that U-turn, which I did, thank goodness, for this Dharma talk, because I've come to terms with my mother, actually, because it has nothing to do with her, ultimately. Now I can take, I can pause now, which I did, and look in and see, yeah, yeah, I she's accountable for not needing meeting my needs. Yeah, she is accountable for that, but she's not to blame for this anger, for the anger that has developed over the course of my adult life. Because now I can turn inward and I can look. I can look and see what was really going on. And I, I've come up with the understanding that That is the, mo the easiest way to trigger my anger is when I feel I can't trust someone. When I feel that my trust is betrayed, which I can see goes back to my mother, who I counted on probably in some fundamental way to be there for me, and she wasn't. And so I kind of had this fundamental dependency and trust that my needs would be met 
because I was helpless as a child. So that trust was betrayed. But now, you know, I, I can recognize that, <laughs> you know, and I can express that. I can say, well, when you don't show up, <laughs> when you said you would to help me, my need for trust has, has arisen and I feel like I can't trust you. And I can, I can express that. I couldn't express that to my mother. I had no idea what was going on. And I can also take action not to trust a lot of people who don't, you know, earn my trust. So I can be more self-sufficient, you know, knowing that trust is an issue that I don't, you know, that is an issue for me. So I can take action with respect to that. And I can figure out how to meet that need in a way that I couldn't do that before. So, um, we've talked a little bit about, and, and that's really the way anger gets deeply resolved, is to identify, to stop, make that U-turn into your own feelings and, and your own needs and your own expectations and see what isn't being met and then be able to articulate that, to name it, trust. Name it to yourself to begin with and then perhaps name it to the other person. This is a need I have. And right now, uh, my, that need isn't being met. So can you help me? <laughs> So we've talked about how to address the anger that arises in you. But what about the anger that comes at you? A lot of us have a lot of difficulty. We're afraid of somebody else's anger towards us. And that probably can be in some form or other traced back to childhood as well. But you know, we're not doing therapy here, at least not in any deliberate way. <laughs> um, um, so the same thing can be said about anger that is coming at you, um, especially from people you care about. And the same kinds of responses can develop with respect to the anger that comes at you. You can either have a direct response to that and a defensiveness and lash back, you know, uh, directly, someone shouting at you and you shout back at them, you know, or they push you and you push back or they throw a dish at you or a book at you or a cloth at you and you take it and throw it back at them. So yeah, I mean, there are people who, who fight, who have actual physical fights. Or someone's angry with you and 
you just go into silence, passive aggressive. You don't, you're not dealing with the anger. You're just giving them the silent treatment. And they're, they're wanting something from you. They're wanting a response from you and you're not giving it to them. Yeah, that's a form of aggression. You know, it's, it's a form of reactivity. They say, we want, you know, we want, we want a response from you. Do something. Or you react with punishment of some sort. You know, you wound them in some way. You know, not direct aggression, but some, something that you know will upset them or make them ashamed or uh, depressed or, you know, just some kind of punishing behavior. So those two are particularly resolve anything. They just fundamentally either escalate things or polarize, polarize you. So when anger comes at you from someone, you assume just as you have investigated your own anger, you assume that they need something that isn't being met, that they, ha they have some need. Maybe it's your attention, your love, your trust, your um, comfort, um, just your full attention that they're not getting. They're not getting met. And so you assume that this doesn't really have anything to do with you. Their anger is not about you. It's about something that they need, that they're not getting met, that you're just happen to be here <laughs> to, for their anger to land on. So perhaps as you ask yourself the question, what's my, un, you know, what need do I have that's making me angry that I'm not getting met? It's like, it's almost like an infantile tantrum, but is all anger is a kind of tantrum. It can be mild, it can be a mild tantrum, but it's basically, I want some, I need something. So if you assume that about yourself, you can also assume that about the other person, that this has, it's not about blaming you. Then they're really, they're, it's just landing on you. So you can ask them, just as you ask yourself, what do you need? <laughs> to help them make the U-turn, you know? Help them make the U-turn, right? Not reactive, but help them make the U-turn. What do you need? Maybe encourage, you know, how can we work on this together? <laughs> what's, what's, not only what, what do you need, what do you need from me? How can I help? So it's, it's, it's not escalating, it's not polarizing. It's helping them to do what you've done, that you've discovered that you can do for yourself, bless you, and help, help that to happen for somebody else. 
So I want to um, end with sharing um, this little anecdote. A Hindu saint who was visiting River Ganges to take a bath found a group of family members, usually family, <laughs> on the banks, <clears throat> shouting in anger at each other. He turned to his disciples and smiled. Why do people shout in anger at each other? The disciples thought for a while. One of them said, because we lose our calm, we shout. But why should you shout when the other person is just next to you? You can as well tell him or her what you have to say in a soft manner, said the saint. Disciples gave some other answers, but none satisfied the other disciples. Finally, the saint explained, when two people are angry at each other, their hearts distance a lot. To cover that distance, they must shout to be able to hear each other. The angrier they are, the stronger they will have to shout to hear each other, to cover that great distance. What happens when two people fall in love? They don't shout at each other, but talk softly because their hearts are very close. The distance between them is either non-existent or very small. The saint continued, when they love each other very deeply, what happens? They do not speak, only whisper, and they get even closer to each other in their love. Finally, they don't even need to whisper. They only look at each other, and that's all. That is how close two people are when they love each other. He looked at his disciples and said, so when you argue, do not let your hearts get distant. Do not say words that distance each other more or else there will come a day when the distance is so great that you will not find the path to return. Our Sangha sits in silence with each other, not saying a word, just in a space of love. Our hearts are close. We don't need to shout. We don't need to whisper. We don't even need to speak. 
we can just sit together and love each other. Thank you.